Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 17. That's on page 728 in the Church Bibles. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Let me pray as we look at God's word together. Our Father in heaven, we confess again this morning that our only hope is in Christ. And I pray now as we look at your word and as we consider him, that by a deep work of your spirit in each one of us, that you would open our eyes afresh to behold his glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Humpty Dumpty sat 
on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. It's a children's nursery rhyme, but the more we think about it, the meaning is far from childish. As we go through life and experience more of life, don't we discover this to be true, that good things, precious things, things that we love and hold dearly, these things break, and we just don't know how to put them back together again. Maybe it's a relationship, a friendship. Maybe it's someone here at church or in our wider family. It's a good relationship, and then something happens. A disagreement, a miscommunication, perhaps a sense of betrayal, and a good thing, a precious thing breaks, and we don't know how to fix it. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's the plans that we have for our futures. Maybe it's a job that we love and a a new boss joins the team and they seem to have it in for us. Or think about the world. How do you fix the relationship between Israel and Gaza? Or between Russia and Ukraine? Well, think about our climate. We live in a beautiful world, but our climate is changing quickly. How do you fix that and in a way that is fair and just for everyone in the world? We're picking up our series in Isaiah this morning after a short break. And the people of God in the days of Isaiah are a broken people. We've been seeing how there has been generations of spiritual decline. There's a brokenness in their vertical relationship between themselves and the one true God of the heavens. And that vertical brokenness has spilled into a horizontal brokenness in their relationships with one another. Back in Isaiah 5, we read that God came looking for justice amongst his people and he found only bloodshed. And by Isaiah chapter 39 The Lord has had enough, and he will send even more brokenness towards his people as the Babylonians come and overwhelm Jerusalem and destroy the city and carry many off to be slaves in a foreign nation. Isaiah 41 was a trial scene where God summoned the nations to come to court, and the issue was who could fix this broken world? Who could control the future? The nations have a go. They build their idols of wood and stone and bow down to worship them. But to no avail. And at the end of Isaiah 41, God gives his verdict on the efforts of the nations. Just glance back to the end of chapter 41, the final verse. God says, see, they are all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. Their images are but wind and confusion. If all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty back together again, the same is true for the nations and the idols that they make and worship. God says they amount to nothing, just wind and confusion. They cannot fix a broken world. It is a somber point to reach in the story, and if we stopped there, it would be quite a depressing message, but... 
Look at what happens next. It's as if a spotlight flicks on and out of the corner, a yet unseen figure steps into the light. Isaiah 42 verse 1. The Lord says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. The nations, they've had their turn at fixing the world with their idols. Now it's God's turn. And here is God's plan to fix a broken world. At times in Isaiah, the people of God, Israel, they are called the servants of the Lord. Also, we think of the Babylonians and Cyrus who God will use to achieve his plans. But the servant here in Isaiah 42 must be someone else. He is simply too amazing, too glorious to be any other human agent. Isaiah has four servant songs that sing of the glory of the coming servant and what he will do. This morning, we come to the first. And so this morning, if you are weary, if you feel overwhelmed by living in a broken world, if you feel anxious and confused about the future, and if you wonder how this world can be fixed, then come and see what this servant will do. I've only got time really to focus on the first four verses this morning. Three points. First, the servant's mission. End of verse one. He will bring justice to the nations. End of verse three. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Verse four. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. A few years back, Lorna and I were out driving in the car and we joined a queue of traffic and a car behind us came and smashed into the back of us. It wasn't a particularly a very high-speed crash. No one was, was hurt. It was, it was all okay. Um, and at the time, the driver behind me admitted full responsibility for what they'd done. But then a few weeks later, as the insurance company started to talk to one another, the, the driver completely changed their story. And they accused me of causing the accident. Now, I didn't have a dash cam. Uh, my only witness was my wife, Lorna. And because we were married, they wouldn't accept her testimony in the incident. And so it ended up being their word against my word. And when you get to that point, it's really very tricky, isn't it? Ever been there? In the end, we had to share blame for the incident, even though I knew that wasn't right. Very thankful for the legal system in this country. Compared to many people around the world today, we have far greater access to justice than, than most. And yet even the best human legal systems have their limits. And of course, far worse things happen in the world today than a minor road traffic accident. I checked this week, according to the Crown Prosecution Service, current conviction rates for domestic abuse, where so often it is one person's word against another person's word, conviction rates stand at just 2.1%. 
And if we've been the victim of a failure of justice, or when we hear other people's story of their experience of injustice, like the story of those post office workers, thousands of whom have been wrongly accused of financial misconduct, or we hear stories of innocent civilians being bombed during warfare, it makes us angry, rightly so. It shouldn't be this way. And the one true God of the universe sees it all. He knows everything. He cares about every detail. And when the moment is right, he will send his servant, Isaiah 42, on a mission, a mission of justice. And can we see the scope of his mission? Not just for a few people. Verse 1, it'll be justice for the nations. Which means that whatever is happening in Gaza this morning, whatever is happening in Ukraine or around the world where there is violence and war in so many countries, whatever is happening in offices and law courts and in governments and in people's homes, none of it is beyond the reach and the scope of the justice that will be established through this servant. And when he has finished his work, there'll be no more lawyers or law courts, no more police or prisons, no security cameras or insurance policies or locks on our doors. There'll be no more cries of anguish or tears of fury at injustice because he will have put right every wrong. But there's more. I don't often do this on a sermon, but um, bear with me. I think it's helpful to know that there is a, a word here in the original Hebrew that is a rich Bible word that comes up again and again. And the word for justice is this Hebrew word, and it's mishpat. Mishpat, Hebrew word for justice. And mishpat in the Hebrew means it, it does include legal justice. And I hope we can see why that's such a good thing this morning. But mishpat means more than legal correctness. It's bigger than that. It means the whole world put right at every single level, every single part in its right place as it should be, as God made it to be. I don't know if you've seen one of those before and after pictures of when a tornado has gone through a town. Uh, Beforehand, you might see a nicely ordered village with Houses with roofs on top of the house where they should be and and cars parked on the driveway where they should be. It's all ordered neatly and tidily. If you like, it's a picture of Mishpat. But then the afterwards picture after the tornado is blasted through and the roofs are now on the ground and the cars are now on the houses and there is disorder and chaos everywhere. It's a picture of a loss of Mishpat. And for Israel, when she heard the news that her homes and families and lives were about to be destroyed by the Babylonians, you might remember back in Isaiah 40, they cried out a cry of anguish. Now here it is, Isaiah 40 verse 27. They said, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my gods. I've underlined that word cause. 
That word cause is the same word, mishpat. My justice is being disregarded by God, they cry out. And they don't just mean a kind of technical legal sense. They mean life shouldn't be this way. It's all disordered. Homes shouldn't be destroyed. Families shouldn't be torn apart. People's livelihoods shouldn't be dismantled. People shouldn't be slaves in a foreign country. It shouldn't be this way. It's mishpat lost, cry the people. But God hasn't disregarded the mishpat of his people. We're being told now, back in Isaiah 42, that he will send his servant on a mission to establish mishpat, justice. So we are seeing this morning that the mission of this servant is nothing less than, well, it's gigantic. There is disorder and chaos everywhere. At the level of the cells in our body, which can misbehave and do terrible things to make people sick and to even die, to the level of how winter storms can cause water to flood homes, to how governments can misuse their power rather than serving the people, they oppress the people. Do you see, everywhere in the world, at every level, there is disorder and chaos. There is a loss of mishpat everywhere. And the servant's mission to bring order to it all. Before I move on, though, there is one more disorder we need to think about. It's here in Isaiah's preaching and um, prophecies. When people refuse to worship the one true God of the universe and instead prefer to worship bits of wood and metal that they have carved with their own hands and put their hopes and dreams in that idol instead of the one true God of the universe, that is the ultimate mishpat gone wrong. It's the ultimate misjustice in the world because God does deserve all honor and glory. Idols are nothing. And yet the nations are busy worshiping what they should not worship. The ultimate disorder And it's that disorder which causes all the rest of the chaos in the world around us. For Israel, it's her worship of idols that will lead to the exile. Ever since Genesis 3, that first sin of humanity to not worship God as he deserved has led to the brokenness and chaos of the world around us. I wonder if you noticed what the servant will do. End of verse 6. He will be a light for the Gentiles. Verse 7, he will open the eyes of the blinds. He will bring captive, uh, freedom to the captives. When people take all their hopes and dreams for this broken world and put it on an idol, a piece of wood they have carved, this is darkness. This is blindness. This is captivity. But that same Darkness is around in the world today. Not so much that people carve bits of wood now to worship as idols, but people are busy carving the idols of their career or their bank accounts or their health or some experience in this world, thinking that if they just get it right, this thing will fix their lives and make everything better. But it's blindness, it's darkness, it's captivity. But when this servant comes, he will graciously open the eyes of the blind to see who the true God is, 
so that people can put their trust in him and not in some idol. Order restored. The servant's mission. But even as I speak this morning, I feel this, as I, as I say this to you, I wonder if you're thinking, is this really possible? I mean, come on, Pete, you don't know my life and the particular story of brokenness that I'm living in at the moment. And you're telling me that this can all be put right. Or you look at the news and you think, how can this broken world really be put right? It's so messed up. Is it really possible? Can someone really do this? Well, much more quickly, our second point, the servant's might. Verse 1 again. Here is my servant whom I uphold. When James Bond heads out on his missions, he is backed by the British government and by lots of clever people like uh, Q, who design all these gadgets that um, cause pens to explode and oil to be squirted out onto roads to protect bonds. But when the servant of Isaiah 42 heads out his mission, he is backed by none other than the Lord himself. In case we've forgotten who the Lord is, verse 5 reminds us, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to all those who walk on it. The Lord is the one who has made everything out of nothing. We are only here this morning able to breathe because he has given us life and breath to sustain us. And it is this Lord who says to his servant, verse 6, I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. The servant's mission is gigantic. Nothing less than fixing this broken world at every level. And humanly speaking, it's impossible. But the servant, when he comes, will have the spirit of the Lord on him. And sustained by divine might, he will accomplish his mission. But then, even as I speak about his might, we might think, well, someone with enough might to fix this broken world, that same might sounds quite scary. We see so many examples in the world of when humans have lots of might and power, so often that leads to them abusing that might and power. What about this servant? We come to our final point, the servant's method. The Manchester United manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, was famous for his halftime team talks. I'm told that he, well, if the team wasn't playing well, he'd often uh, shout and scream in the dressing room at halftime. People call it the hairdryer treatment that he would dish out. Maybe we've had a boss like that over the years. You can achieve a certain kind of success through fear, but that's not the method of the servants. Verse 2, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. This servant will have divine might at his disposal. 
You can imagine it being so easy for him to push his weight around, to get things done by shouting and screaming and making people do things. But not at all. The opposite. Verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A reed is is tall but, but thin. And its strength comes because it's circular. But if you break a reed and you, you bruise it and you sort of break the circle, then it loses its strength and it sort of flops over. And for most people, if you find a bruised reed flopping over, you think, well, it's not worth anything anymore. You, you just break it and chuck it away. But not the servants. Well, verse 3 continues, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A candle smolders because it's coming to the end of its life. It's used up whatever resources it has. And normally if a candle starts to smolder, you just lean forward and you snuff it out. It's done. It's finished. But not this servant. A bruised reed, a smoldering wick. These are images of people living in a broken world. A world without mishpat, a world of chaos and disorder. And when we live in a world like that, we get bruised, we smolder. It's exhausting living with injustice, of having to tolerate wrong. It grinds us down, it brings us to the end of our reserves and energy. And the servant knows this. And as he comes on his divine mission, he comes with gentleness. And his goal is to use his might to bring restoration and healing. We know where this is going, don't we? 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, Jesus began his public ministry. And like a magnet, he seemed to be attracted to not the powerful and impressive people of the world, but he was attracted to the broken people, the bruised reeds, the smoldering wicks of this world, people with leprosy, people who are blind, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the social outcasts. If you like, people experiencing the full force of a broken and disordered world, a world without mishpat. People shouldn't get leprosy. They shouldn't be blind. They shouldn't be paralyzed. And yet people are. They were. And Jesus was drawn to them. In kindness and compassion, he healed them. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 12, right after we read of Jesus healing many people, Matthew quotes Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4, in its entirety, and says these words are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Be of no doubt, Jesus is the servant of Isaiah 42. And isn't this one of the most beautiful things about Jesus? That he is gentle with broken people. When he sees our bruises and our dwindling energy, he doesn't turn away in disdain looking for a better option. But his heart is drawn to us to comfort and restore. 
as Jesus healed the sick and brought order out of disorder, as he began to establish once again mishpat in the world, he was giving us a little preview, a foretaste of that great final moment when he comes back and he finishes the work and puts the world to rights once and for all forever. The servant's method. As we move to a close this morning, Isaiah gives us two ways to respond. The first comes in verse 10. He says, Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. As we go through the Bible, the Lord has done many remarkable things. He rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. That was amazing. We know that he will bring his people back from Babylon, out of the exile, back to the promised land. That's amazing. But when the servant comes, there is a whole new special song reserved only for him. For his work is that amazing. And doesn't Isaiah 42 help us to sing over Jesus? All the king's horses, all the king's men cannot fix our broken world, but he can, and he will. All wrongs put right, all disorders reversed, and our sin, which is at the very heart of the chaos of our world. This servant came to die on the cross. In an act of perfect justice, he gave his perfect life in our place, so that divine judgment would not fall on us, although we deserved it, it fell on him instead, so that we are forgiven and restored spiritually, so that when Christ returns and he judges the world with justice, we know that we will be declared innocent, welcomed in to the new world being established under the rule and reign of King Jesus. As we look around the world today, and we see so much brokenness. And we see spiritual brokenness, spiritual darkness. The, the church in this country feels so small and ineffective at times. Take heart. It's not down to us to fix the world. It's not down to our energy and efforts at church to be just the right kind of witness that will open blind eyes, that will help people see Jesus. Oh, we have a, a role to play. We are called to proclaim Jesus and to live good lives in the world around us, but we can't fix people. And God doesn't ask us to. It's all on the shoulders of his servant. He will do it. He will do all of it. Let's sing a new song that he has come. But also as we finish... We're going to need to be patient as we sing. Verse 15. For a long time I kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back, but now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. During a nine-month pregnancy, there's lots of waiting until when the moment is right, suddenly lots of action. And here, God is likening his timing to a woman giving birth. A long pause followed by sudden action. 
For Israel, she will have to wait 700 years before the servant comes. That's a long pause. And for us today, even as we long and we cry out, come Lord Jesus, we long for our world to be put right fully and finally. It helps us to know that so often when it comes to God's timing, there's a pause first and then suddenly there is dramatic action. He will come. He will do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that as we bring our stories of pain and brokenness this morning to him, we thank you that he cares about every word said, every deed done, every error, every mistake, every tear, every anxious thought about the future. And we thank you that he meets us with gentleness and with kindness. And we thank you that one day he will come back, he will wipe away every tear, and he'll put this world to rights in perfect justice. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.